And we're going to have our children's message now. So kids, I want to invite you guys up here. Come on up here for a special message just for you. Here we go. All right. How are you guys doing today? You doing all right? It's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here today. It is officially December, right? And what does that mean? It's almost Christmas time, right? Y'all thinking about Christmas yet? Me, I love Christmas. I love this whole month. I love all the amazing things that we get to do here at church. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Who, anybody know? What do you think? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because it's Jesus' birthday. Jesus' birthday. Is that what, what were you going to say? Same thing? That's exactly why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because God became man and dwelled among us. Now let me show you something. What is this? Anybody know? What is it? It's a fire truck. Is this an actual fire truck? No, it's a toy fire truck. It's like something you play with. So were you guys here like a couple months ago when we had the fire alarm go off in church? Do you all remember that? Anybody here? That was crazy, right? So that was thankfully just a false alarm. It didn't, there wasn't actually a fire. Someone just pulled it accidentally. But if there was a real fire, and let's say there was a fire in this room, if I went back into the hospitality room where I got this, and I brought this in this room, would this help us put the fire out? No. Would this save us? No. Look, it's got a little ladder. We could open the ladder up. Maybe, oh, there's no hose in there. So would this actually put the fire out? No. no. What do we need to do? We need a real fire truck to put the fire out. This could never rescue us because this isn't a real fire truck, right? That's why Jesus came, right? Jesus came because God sent him to save us. No other person, no other thing in your life, no money or, or people or jobs or any of that stuff can rescue you. Only Jesus can do that, and that's why Jesus had to come. God became man and dwelt among us, and his name is who? Jesus. Jesus. All right, so the word of the day today is baby, all right? We got some babies in, in the room today, so if you forget the word of the day, look around, and you'll see a baby, and you'll know word of the day is baby. So I want you to count how many times I say the word baby, and let me know at the end of the church service, okay? All right, thank you for coming up here. You guys can go sit down. All right, church, let's uh, open up our Bibles uh, this morning to Colossians chapter 1 as we continue on our sermon series this Christmas called Peace on Earth. As we look into the book of Colossians chapter 1 and consider this man, Jesus. As we approach Christmas, our minds dwell on baby Jesus, both fully God and fully man. Wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Today's passage focuses on the person of Jesus. Imagine with me, if you will, for, for the next few minutes, that you were one of the first visitors on that day when Jesus was born. You knew the Old Testament prophecies that a Messiah would come among the people of the Jews. And, and you longed for that to happen and you looked forward to that day. You heard the testimonies from the shepherds who saw an angel of the Lord who said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David... 
there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You heard them continue their story as you looked down on that new baby. As they described their miraculous encounter, passionately telling you about the multitude of angels, praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest, and peace among men with whom He is pleased. The appearance of the angels as Luke Luke describes them, as they appeared to the shepherds in his gospel, inspired a a man by the names of, a name of James Chadwick, who was inspired to write the song that we sang there, Angels We Have Heard on High. The most memorable phrase in that song is the chorus, Gloria in excelsis Deo, which means glory to God in the highest. Turn with me now to Colossians chapter 1 as we look at verses 15 to 20. This was, we believe, an early Christian hymn sung by the early church when they would gather for worship. They would sing these words in remembrance of who Jesus is and what Jesus had done and what Jesus will one day do for all of humanity, in fact, for the whole world. So during the next few minutes, let's imagine that you and I are there on that day when Jesus was born. And that God blessed us with the opportunity to gaze upon his face, the face of baby Jesus. Perhaps we would look upon that face and ask this question, who is this baby? I mean, really, who is this baby? Paul answers that question in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says this, he is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Well, Paul says here that Jesus is two things. First, he is the image of the invisible God. In the Greek world, the word we translate image is icon. Conveyed, and this word conveyed one of two types of meaning. Both of these meanings were always present when they used this particular word. But one, depending on the context in which it was used, sort of overwhelm or overrode the meaning of the other one. The first meaning of the word icon, which we translate as image, is representation or symbol. The image represented and symbolized what the object pictured. Like, think of it as the reflection in a mirror. Now, if that's what Paul meant, then he would have said that Jesus was a symbol of God or of deity. But that's not what he meant. That brings us to the second meaning of the word icon. The second way the word was used in this uh, uh, point in time was the word manifestation. When image was used in this way, it meant that the subject was more than just a symbol of something else. It was actually the presence of that thing, that object. Listen to what Richard Mellick writes. Paul meant that Jesus manifested God. The terminology is similar to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where the writer stated that Jesus is called the exact representation of God. And John 1, 18, which states that Jesus has made him known. The point is that in Christ, the invisible God became visible. 
He shared the same substance as God and made God's character known in this earthly sphere of existence. The revelation of God in Christ is such that we can actually see Him. As Jesus said, when His disciples looked upon His face, they were looking at God. So Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Second, what Paul writes in verse 15 is, He is the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn helps us truly understand Jesus' importance and priority in all the world. Now, it's interesting. We think of the word firstborn, and that meaning in our language means in a family that you were born first. And it did have that meaning. But in in Jewish culture, which we're going to dive into just for a minute, we'll understand the true meaning of, of this word and what Paul is actually saying here, which would not have been confusing for the Jews who made up of the majority of the church at this time. Lightfoot pointed out that the term firstborn referred to the rite or the ritual that accorded the first son a special place in the family. And if you studied Old Testament scripture or even some of the New Testament, you understand the firstborn in a Jewish family, the firstborn male would be the one who took the place of the father, who, who uh, received the majority of the inheritance. He was the one in charge of overseeing the health and well-being of the family once the father had passed away. The firstborn. That had two meanings in the Jewish family. It meant first that you were the firstborn son. But more importantly, it meant the first in priority. And so Lightfoot writes, The term soon lost the meaning of first in time and developed the meaning of first in priority. Thus, the first century church, which was initially composed of Jews, would have understood Paul's description of Jesus perfectly. Jesus is the most important person in all of creation. Why is that so? Paul continues to explain this in verse 16. Why is Jesus the firstborn of our family? Why is Jesus the most important person who ever lived? Paul says in verse 16, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I'm going to explain more about that in a minute when we talk about what Jesus has done. But as we think about the identity of Jesus as fully God and fully man, the firstborn or first priority in all of creation, let me apply that to your life. You know, having a boat in Key West is a tremendous blessing. Anybody in here have a boat? Some of you, anybody in here ever owned a boat before? All right, so it's a blessing and a curse, right? So boat, uh, the, the people that had one that's gone now, they say instead of buying a boat, just go out into the Gulf with all the money in your savings account and just throw it in the water and come back in, call it a day. That's the equivalent of having a boat. They're, they're a tremendous blessing, but they also take quite a bit of time, right? And, and I love my boat, and I've been blessed by people to help me uh, to, to keep it up and, and to use it. And my family and I go out often, and we absolutely love our boat. But we had some troubles with our boat, as many of you boat owners recognize, um, in the past. 
um, we, we, we wanted to kind of fix the boat up. And so me and Darlene and the girls started doing things like, you know, we were working on getting the, the covering uh, fixed above it, um, the, the, the covering to give us some shade. The radio wasn't really working, so I kind of tinkered with that. I was doing some things with the electronics. We were fixing some kind of things in the cabin that was kind of moldy. And all that was, was great, right? Until the engine broke, right? So you got a boat with one engine, and that engine breaks, Mr. Ed, you're not going very far in that boat, right? It doesn't matter if you've got the, the most beautiful awning in Key West, the loudest radio, or the most immaculate cabin. If your engine doesn't work, that boat is useless, right? So after that broke, we stopped fixing all the rest of the stuff, and we started working on the engine, right? Because your boat is useless without the engine. So we had to prioritize the engine above all the other parts of the boat. Now, our scripture today tells us that Jesus is the priority. Jesus, as in his identity as both fully God and fully man, is the most important person that ever lived on this entire world, ever. And he takes priority above everything else. Now, the question I have for you is this. Does Jesus take priority in your life? It doesn't matter if we fix the cabin or the awning or scrubbed up the outside of that boat, made it look real nice. If the engine's broke, it's a worthless boat. I mean, you could like float out in the water maybe, but not go anywhere. If Jesus is the priority and God declared it to be so, it doesn't matter how well you fix up the other parts of your life. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter if you meet that special someone. It doesn't matter if you have everything that you ever wanted. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have everything you need because Jesus needs to be the absolute single most important part of our lives. He is the firstborn. He is the priority. When we recognize his priority... And our life aligns with God's perfect plan for us, then we realize the purpose for which we were created. So let's travel back to that manger scene one more time. Let's gaze for a moment or two upon the face of baby Jesus. We know why this baby is so important because of who he is, but what has Jesus done? What has he done? Look with me now in verses 16 through 19. And Paul's going to remind us that Jesus has done two pretty amazing things. Look at verse 16 once again. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus conceived a creation in his mind. Before creation ever happened, which is described in Genesis chapter 1, he was the Word. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was during that time, as the Word, that he determined to create the world and everything in it. Now this relationship that the Trinity has with creation is hard for us to understand, and I don't think we'll fully understand it in this life. But one scholar gives a, a, a neat analogy. I want to just kind of like paste there in your mind as we think about the Trinitarian uh, participation in creation. 
He says, theologically, a clear distinction is to be made between the work of the Father and the Son. The Father, of course, has a significant relationship to creation. He is presented as the architect. He determined to bring creation into existence. The Son, Jesus, actually brought the plans into existence. Through his creative imagination and power, the created order exists. He is, in a sense, the foreman of the construction. The Spirit, finally, does the actual work of applying the plans in a hands-on relationship to creation. The statement about Jesus, therefore, speaks to Jesus' originating details of creation and bringing them into existence by his own creative energy. So consequently, everything exists on this world, you and I and everything here, to display his glory. And ultimately, Jesus will receive glory from all of creation. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Jesus not only created the world and everything in it, he also established the church and will establish the new creation. Look at verse 18. What did Jesus do? He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. You see, Jesus will restore every aspect of creation that has been touched by sin, and he will pour out his grace upon it. Paul loved to refer to the church as a body. And here he explains that Jesus is the head of the church body. And that, that means, very simply, that Jesus is the boss, all right? Jesus is the leader. He is the chief shepherd. He is the one whom we listen to, the one we obey, and the one we follow. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the priority, the foundation of the church which he established when he resurrected from the dead on the third day. Jesus entered this world of sin. He endured our punishment, and he rose victoriously in the Spirit, conquered death. Jesus is our priority. And therefore, now Jesus takes first place in everything. Jesus reigns over king, as king, over all creation. The Bible says that Jesus is almighty, that he is the alpha and the omega, that Jesus is the amen. Jesus is the author of life. He is the chief shepherd. He is Emmanuel. He is the good shepherd. He is the heir of all things. Jesus is holy and righteous. Jesus is the great I am. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is the master, the Messiah, the mediator, and the morning star. He is God, and he is our king. Jesus created this world and everything in it. He is the one who existed before creation as the word and became man and dwelled among us so that we could be saved. And let me ask you today, church, is he the Lord of your life? First and foremost, has there been that point in time in your life when you turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you been born again? 
Have you received the grace that God desires to pour out on your life? In fact, upon every life of every repentant sinner who places their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you have not done that today, then that gift awaits you. Is he the supreme object of your affection? Those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, is Jesus on the throne of your life? Does he take priority above all other things? Are you trusting him by faith, walking in obedience to his word? Is he the priority? Let's travel back one more time to the manger scene. Let's bend over and look at the face of that baby Jesus one more time. Fully God and fully man. The one who created the world and everything in it. The one who died on the cross for our salvation. But Jesus' victory and his achievements don't just lie in the past. You see, Jesus will one day do some pretty amazing things on this planet. And let's talk about those for a few minutes. Look at verse 19. We'll answer one more question today. What will he do? As we look upon the face of baby Jesus, and maybe like his mother Mary, we're asking the same question What's that baby going to do? Do y'all remember when we had our, our child dedication up here a couple weeks ago? You look upon those babies, and those of you that have had children or have family members that have had children, you ever, you ever just look at that, that baby, that infant, and just look at them and just wonder, what are they going to do with their lives? What's that little girl going to do with her life? What's God going to use her to do? What's that little boy going to achieve and accomplish for God's glory? I imagine as those announcements came from the angels and the shepherds arrived and the wise men came from their long journey and everyone told Mary and Joseph and those around them that this is the Messiah, that God told them this or the angels told them that and they they gaze upon the face of this baby and just ponder in their hearts, what will he do? And this is what Paul answers here in verses 19 and 20. First he says in verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Think about this. As the baby Jesus lie in that manger, the fullness of God lay there in that manger. He was fully God and fully man. So when you looked, when they looked upon his face and, and looked upon that baby, they were looking at the face of God. It pleased God to dwell among men in his fullness. Paul clarifies this a little bit more in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, and he says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, very simply stated, Jesus is God. As Jesus lay there in the manger, our sovereign God executed the plan established for him. You see, he was born for a purpose. And that's perhaps what Mary wondered about after his miraculous birth, asking, what will he do? How will he do that? Look at verse 20. 
Paul answers that question. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. What will Jesus do? He will reconcile all things to God the Father. Whether they are on earth or in heaven. The scope of reconciliation through Jesus includes all material and spiritual things. And let's not forget about that. Melek writes this. He says, there are three specific concerns. He's saying there's three things that Paul is identifying here. Three things that Jesus will reconcile to the Father through his, life, his birth, life, and his sacrificial death. The spirit world, the human world, and the material world. Each has been alienated and stands in need of correction. The spirit world suffered a fall when many of the angels rebelled. The human fall is recorded in Genesis 3 and its theological implications are explored in Romans chapter 5. The material world was affected as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. And so we see that after the fall, the whole world and, and everything in the world is broken. Things are not the way that God designed for them to be. And yet what we learn from Paul here is nothing lies outside of the reconciling work of Jesus. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus was born. This is why God became man and dwelled among us. First, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, just like our forefathers beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We are fallen, sinful people, separated from a loving God. But God in His great love sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life, fulfilled God's law in every way, and gave His life on the cross. His blood poured out as a sacrifice for our sin, an atonement, a covering. He died on that cross and He was buried in the ground. And on the third day He rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures, conquering death and sin and Satan's control over humanity, offering everlasting life for everyone who would turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so through His work on the cross and resurrection from the dead, He provided us with an opportunity to be reconciled with our God who created us to receive eternal life. Through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, Jesus also overcame the power of death that's reigned over humanity in addition to Satan's control over all who would repent and believe. Through his death on the cross and resurrection on the third day, he also secured a future for creation. That means one day our Savior who right now resides at the right hand of God the Father will return. He will return and judge the world and everything in it. Satan and his demons will be thrown into the lake of fire for eternal judgment forever and ever and ever. And so that will be reconciled. Those who turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior will be with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth 
You see, the old earth, the old heaven will be burned up. And so the world, everything in it will be reconciled. Sin, Satan, his demons, and all those who have not turned faith in Jesus will be in hell forever. And the world as God designed it will be recreated. And Jesus will reign supreme forever. All of that resided inside of that baby as he lay in that manger. So my question for you as we conclude here, this Christmas season, will we be like the shepherds? We know who he is. We know what he's done. We, we know what he will do. The question and the challenge on, on our hearts today is the same one that resided in Mary's heart, in Joseph's heart, in the shepherd's heart. It's the same one. Will this Jesus take priority in our lives the way he is a priority in all of creation? We're going to have a time of invitation now of You've not been here for this. In a minute, I'm going to invite everybody to stand. And we're going to have a time. We're going to sing together. But it's an opportunity for you to respond to whatever God's doing in your heart at this time. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to come forward and you want to pray here, we'll pray with you. If you need to make that decision to follow Jesus, maybe as you heard the words preached, you recognize that, that God isn't a part of your life because you, you need to be saved. Come forward. I'd love to walk with that with you through that process. If you're a believer, but maybe you're not walking on that path of righteousness, it's time for you to make things right with the Lord. There's no better time to do that than right now. And so I want to invite everybody to stand now during this time of invitation and just challenge you to respond to whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do. Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation. I pray that whatever burden your spirit has placed in our hearts, that we would respond to it by faith. Whether it's that person who's standing in this room right now who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, maybe asking those questions, that him or her would come forward and take those steps to salvation. Are the one who's wandered away, who knows the truth, he or she knows that it's time to come back and to walk with you. Convict their hearts, I pray, and lead them to that repentance. Or maybe the one came in here today just with a burden, an overwhelming burden. Your word tells us that we are to cast those burdens upon you. And help us to do that today. Finally, Lord, help us all to make you a priority in our life. The object of our affection and our worship, our Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray.